I had an interesting experience a couple weeks ago um, at, a, at, a, at a car wash. Uh, I was up on Chipman. There's a new car wash where the Dave Cross dealership used to be. Um, I don't drink coffee, but I am addicted to caffeine. So every time I'm around there, I will usually stop and get a large Diet Coke from wherever uh, I'm at. And the place was like brand new and it was open. And so for $8, you could get like a professional car wash. So I thought, all right, I was waiting on Danielle, um, which, which I've been doing now for like 16 years, most days in some capacity. She was late for some, so I thought, I'll get a car wash. Um, and as I go to the car wash, I've got my window down, beautiful day. I pay the guy at the car wash, and I'm, and I'm like pulling into like the bay where they're going to like literally wash my car. And as I'm rolling up my window, I mean literally right as it's like an inch from being closed, this kamikaze bee like comes flying into the car and like hits me on the head. Like, and I've got this automatic window. So by the time he's in, the window's up and they've started spraying my car. And I thought, oh no. Like, like now for the next three minutes, I'm stuck with this bee in a car wash. If I roll down the window, I'm gonna get soaked. My mind immediately flipped to the Home Alone kid who died when he got stung by a bee in that movie, My Girl. I don't know if you've seen that. If not, spoiler alert, he gets stung by being die. Sorry about that. Um, but you know, I'm thinking, like I've got, like, I, like I'm an MMA fighter now. Like, okay, I got three minutes. I'm looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm thinking three minutes. If I can go three minutes with this bee, I'm, I'm gonna be okay. I would love to have seen a video of me in that car wash over the next three minutes because I either look like a ninja or an idiot or, or maybe a little bit of both. But somehow I survived to the end. And you know, I got through all the wet part and he's still kind of buzzing around my head and I thought, you know, I can roll my window down, but I was going by the dryer vents that like dry your car. And I thought, you know, what if one of those would like blow him like, back, like into my ear and he'd sting me on the brain. So like I, I waited till I was like almost all the way out of the car wash. And like as the little light turns green and says, put your car in drive. Like I rolled the window down, I put the car in drive and the thing landed like right on my steering wheel. And I realized it was just a really big fly. It, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bee at all. I felt a little foolish, you know, but for three minutes, I mean, I was really, I was really overwhelmed. I did, I did not want to get stung by this bee that ended up being a fly. It was three minutes that were pretty overwhelming. Now, those three minutes for some people um, are like every day. Like we live in a culture that is so busy. Some people literally are just trying to get to the end of the day every day because they're living a life that is so overwhelmed. I sent out the email this week to our church list about this series and I got a text message back from a mom in our church, like within 60 seconds of the email landing that said, if I could describe my week in one word, the word would be overwhelmed. I cannot wait for the next month at our church. Her husband is transitioning jobs. He'd lost one job. They'd gone through a period where he just now found another one, but it's gonna pay him a little less. She's got three kids in competitive sports. She works herself. And she's just trying to make it to the end of, of every day, every 24-hour cycle. She, she said, I'm overwhelmed. Um, I think maybe Southwest Airlines had the most creative marketing pitch on the history, uh, in, in the history of the world a few years ago when they would ding the little bell and they'd ask, they'd ask one question that all of us would say yes to. You want to get away? You want to get away? Like probably at almost every point of every day, if someone said, you want to get away? We would say, yeah, I would because we don't have time to catch our breath in this world that is so fast paced that we live in a spirit of being overwhelmed. Danielle 
who I just pointed to, and she's not there. That's Michelle. Hi, Michelle. So that's not my wife for those of you who are new, but Danielle is here somewhere. Oh, she's over there. There she is. Um, Danielle leaves for Guatemala tomorrow. Uh, she's going on a mission trip with 28 pastors' wives from around the country, and I'm, I'm jealous of Danielle because probably my favorite place to be in the world is, is on a mission trip. I've been to Kenya, I've been to India twice the last few years, Israel a couple times, and every time I'm on the mission field, specifically in a third world country, three or four days into the trip, I get jealous because I think, man, the pace of this life over here like, is so much better than the pace of the life that I live. I mean... They don't have clocks. They don't have alarm clocks. They don't have time constraints. We were in Kenya, and they told us the first morning to be ready like at 8 a.m. So we'll leave at 8. So we got ready at 8, and like at around 10 after 9, Pastor Ben, who we were with, came rolling up, you know, and I was like, like, Ben, like, you were supposed to be here at 8 o'clock, and he laughed, and he said, it's 8 o'clock somewhere. And I thought, yeah, but, but not here. It's like 9, 10 here, and you're late. And it takes me a few days just even there to relax. And every time I come back on the plane ride home, I'm thinking, man, I do not want to get back to my life that is just non-stop. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to the book of Ecclesiastes today. It's going to be right near the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, find Psalms. It's a pretty big book in the Old Testament. You can find it. If you don't have your Bible today, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They've got some Bibles you can use If you don't have a Bible, keep this one. You can have it. We've given away almost 800 Bibles since our church began three years ago, just like this. So if you don't have a Bible or you don't know where yours is, write your name in this one and and take it home and read it. I challenge you to read the book of Ecclesiastes this week. It's awesome. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, and maybe if you don't have a Bible, but you have something electronic, dial up the Bible on your phone or your iPad. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we read the thoughts of a man named Solomon. Solomon was David's son. David was the guy best known for killing Goliath, but he became the king over Israel, set up Israel as a nation. And his son was blessed with wisdom so that history, written history, secular and biblical, refers to Solomon as one of the wisest men who ever lived. And at the end of his life, he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, basically saying, hey, after a lifetime of experience, after a lifetime of doing things okay, after a lifetime of doing things the wrong way, Um, Here's what I want to pass on to people about what's important in life. And it's kind of sad how the book starts. If we start in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1, we'll just read the first two words. Like here's how Solomon sets this book up, sets this information up in his old age. He says, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Now we should stop right there and acknowledge that this guy's probably not going to get the teacher of the year award like in any of our school districts. Like prayerfully, this is not the guy preparing our kids for their map test coming up in the next few weeks. Because if this teacher walked into class and gave this, this lesson, here's the lesson, and then asked the kids, all right, now just write down what I told you. Like the students would all pull out a piece of paper and say, the teacher's life sucks. Like, I mean, if you read this, he's like the whole world is just terrible. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then in chapter one through chapter two, he talks about all the things he's tried in his life that were meaningless. But then in chapter three, he begins to turn the lesson towards, but here's what we need to grasp. As we dig into this series called Overwhelmed, And if you haven't already, reach inside your bulletin, take out your sermon notes so that you can follow along and take notes. We're going to take a month to try to understand 
how to live the life that God wants us to live, a life filled with joy, a life filled with balance, a life filled with family, a life where you actually enjoy your job. And we're going to start in Ecclesiastes 3 because here Solomon kind of really helps us understand the mindset of a Christian who's trying to enjoy their life without being totally overwhelmed. And as we dig into Ecclesiastes chapter 3, all of you who are judging us for playing a secular song in church, you're going to have to ask God to forgive you in about eight verses. So here, here we go. Here's what Solomon says. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. But what do the workers gain for their toil? He said, what's the, what's, he's saying here, what's the purpose of this difficult life that we live? Verse 10, I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And then he says this, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Now, if you didn't catch it in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 11 through 13, we see the key verses of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is saying, at the end of the day, here's what's important in life. Look at verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. So Solomon says there, here's seven things God wants to characterize your life. Here's, here's seven things that at the end of your life, this is what you should be pursuing. He said you, you need to enjoy God and the thing he, things he's blessed you with. Like God wants you to enjoy him and the things he's blessed you with. Number two, God wants you to look forward to an eternal relationship with him. He wants you to enjoy every day and see the beautiful things. That, but he also wants you to think about eternity. Number three, he wants you to be happy in your life. And if I just ask that question and just stop today, are you happy right now? It might take some of us a little while to wrestle through that answer. Number four, God wants us to do good things in our lives. He wants us to do good for others. He wants us to enjoy our families and our lives. He wants us to be satisfied in our jobs. And he wants us to see every moment of our life as a gift from God. Now, I want to be real honest. If you look at your life and you look at those seven things and you think, you know, that's, that's really me. The rest of us in here, we hate you. Because this is not the reality of most people, even though this is the dream of most people. I mean, if you were to ask most teenagers, if you were to ask college students, if you were to ask people kind of brand new in their careers, hey, what's your goal for your life? I think most people would say these seven things are pretty good, man. Enjoy God and the things he's blessed me with. Look forward to eternity. Be happy. Do good for people. Enjoy my family. Have a job that I love. See every moment as a gift from God. Like that is the dream. You say, Christian, where does the dream end? 
when you're pulling away from your wedding reception and like real life, like it's all, the drive away from the wedding is kind of downhill and, and, it, and it goes downhill for a while. Can we get back to this life? Can we get back to this dream of a life where we enjoy God, we enjoy our families, we enjoy our jobs, we enjoy our lives? I, I believe we can. And I believe the answer in the next month is going to be found in following the principles of God's routine for our lives. I believe we violated the way that God has called us to live our life and the pace that God has called us to live our life. And I believe if we can, over the next month, figure out how to follow the principles of God's routine for our lives, to live life the way God tells us to live life, then we'll find the life that Solomon said was worth living. I wish I could teach you all this today. I can't. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take several weeks because there's several kind of major points of the routine that God has set up for our lives. But I'm going to tell you they major on evenings, days, and weeks. I'm going to talk to you about how to use your evenings, your days, and your weeks in the way that God ordered them. And I believe it'll change our lives if we do that. But today I want to look at all of you who, like me, have a spirit where you just feel like, Christian, there's no time for anything. Here's the first thing Solomon teaches us in the book of Ecclesiastes. He teaches us that empty pursuits of life as the primary pursuits of life are dangerous. Solomon said, if you are living your life pursuing things other than what God wants you to pursue, you might achieve them, but, it, but it's, it's going to be at your own risk. Like, it's dangerous to pursue things that don't ultimately fulfill your soul. And he gives us what I call seven deadly pursuits. Seven deadly pursuits that, that are a real threat, that keep us from accomplishing the goals that God has for our life. And if we just start in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, if you still have your Bible open, we read some of these things that Solomon said, man, I tried to fill my life with this, but at the end of the day, it was meaningless. In Ecclesiastes 2.1, he said, pleasure. If you just live your life to, to have pleasure... This is meaningless. He said in Ecclesiastes 2.1, I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that proved to be meaningless. Number two, entertainment. Solomon said, I, I, tried to just, I tried to just have a fun life. Solomon couldn't turn on his TV. Solomon couldn't go to a movie. So they would have jesters come in. They would have traveling plays that would come into the palace. But he said, I just, you know, I just wanted to feel good. I wanted to be entertained. In Ecclesiastes 2.2, he said, laughter. Laughter, I said, is madness. What does pleasure accomplish? Like, yeah, I've, I've had some nights that I've enjoyed and laughed a little bit, but it didn't fill my soul. Parting in Ecclesiastes 2.3 would be the correct word for what Solomon did here. He said, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. That's foolishness. My mind was still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what, what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their life. Number four, he said, I, I tried to get a bunch of materialistic stuff. Like I thought I'd be happy if I could get all the stuff that I wanted. In verses four through six, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water the groves of flourishing trees. He said, like I, I built all this stuff. But this stuff didn't bring me happiness. He said, I tried to accumulate wealth, number five. I, I thought if I got rich, I would be happy. In verses seven and eight, I bought male and female slaves. I had other slaves who were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I had a lot of money. I had a lot of stuff. It didn't make me happy. He said, I tried to fill my life with wisdom. 
have to creep back up into chapter 1 to see this in verses 16 through 18. He said, I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much wisdom and knowledge. And I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. And the more knowledge, the more grief. He said, I advanced in my career. Ecclesiastes 2.9. He actually said it this way. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this wisdom stayed with me. But if we continue through Ecclesiastes chapter 2, here's what Solomon wants us to know. Here's the summary of this thought of pursuing empty things as like the major pursuit of our life. He said, if I spend all my time or if I spend my best time. Some of us don't spend all our time, but we spend the very best time. And when we get home, we have no time left for our family. We have no time left for our marriage. We have no time left for our kids. We go home, but we have nothing left for them. If we spend all our time or our best time pursuing all these things, Solomon said, my life will be meaningless at the end. Like if, if I pursue these and I get them. And Solomon said, I did. I pursued them and I got them. And here's what he said. Look at verse 11 at the end of his life. He said, yet when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, what I'd worked really hard to do, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Look at verse 17. He went one step further with all these things in his life. He said, so I hated life. I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. If I could be honest, there are some of you in here today, if you were to be honest, you would say, I hate my life. Like, I just hate the way my life is right now. I hate my schedule. I hate my routine. I hate how much I weigh. I I hate the way my kids turned out. I don't like my marriage. I don't like where I live. Like, I just don't really like my life. I'm totally overwhelmed in life. That's where Solomon was in Ecclesiastes 2. And it's interesting because when we meet a man named Jesus thousands of years later, Jesus is going to tell us that pursuing these things in life isn't bad. But when we pursue them as primary, like when they're the most important things in our life, it's dangerous. In Matthew 6, 30 through 32, Jesus said, I know you're worried about where you're going to live and what you're going to eat and where you're going to work and who your friends are going to be. I know, I know you're worried about the stuff in life. Jesus said, don't be worried about that. But if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you. Jesus said, I know you need stuff. I know you need pleasure. I know you need that stuff. If you'll pursue me you're going to get that stuff too. But if you pursue those things first and leave me for a second, you might end up like Solomon, miserable. I mean, if we just go back through this list of seven, there's nothing in and of itself that's, that's just sinful pleasure. The Bible says God created many things on planet earth for our good pleasure. From a sunset to a sunrise to a mountain peak to an ocean, there are things that should bring pleasure to our eyes, to like great food and drink should be bring pleasure to our life, to hanging out with people should bring pleasure to our soul. Nothing wrong with pleasure unless it's the only goal of your life. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with going out to laugh and have a good time and to get your mind off things for a little while. I, I, I don't want to say there's nothing wrong with partying. I, you know, I think probably adults use the word socialize. There's nothing wrong with socializing. If you're a Baptist, use the word fellowshipping. You know, that's kind of a, it's kind of a church world. If you've never had a Baptist invite you to fellowship, it's awkward the first time it happens. Like, hey, you want a fellowship? Like, I, like a boat? Like, I'm not, I'm not like, 
I'm not sure what, what that means. Um, materialistic stuff. It's okay to have stuff. It's okay to like stuff. I, I like shoes. Like, I like shoes a lot. When I was 10 years old, my mom and dad bought me, uh, like, an, my first pair of, like, tennis shoes that I can remember. And they got me the exact same pair of shoes, white Adidas basketball shoes with green stripes on them, that, that the varsity basketball team wore. And, like, they were my treasured possession. And, like, I would wear these shoes every day. And then every day I would come home and I would clean these shoes. And I would put them in my closet where they wouldn't get dirty. I love shoes. I love clean shoes. I was with a friend this week wearing a new pair of tennis shoes. And they stepped on my shoes and got them dirty. And started laughing. And I took the shoe off and started beating them with it. I mean, it was like, I didn't do that. I wanted to do that. But I'm a pastor. So I thought, I'll smile. But they're not my friend anymore. It's like, that's just, that's over. I'll step on my shoes. Like, I love, I love shoes. I've even brought a spiritual element into my shoes. Because when I, when I go on mission trips, I always give away all the shoes that I wear over there. And this works well because when I'm in the Nike outlet and I'm like, Danielle, I think, I, I I, I think I'm going to get this pair of shoes. And she's like, do you really need another pair of shoes? And I said, listen, there's a kid in Kenya that a year and a half from now needs these shoes. <laughs> and would you be so heartless as to not allow me to buy them, break them in? take them at like I bet I've given away dozens of pairs of shoes the last few years which works well because I get home and Danielle's like hey you're home what do you need to do and I was like oh, I gotta go buy some shoes because I just gave all all mine away like I love shoes what do you love are you, are you like a boat guy or a gun guy you like cars you like clothes you like nice fancy stuff for your house like what what's your thing stuff is okay unless it's the only pursuit of your life and then stuff is not okay wealth is okay One of the misquoted verses in all the Bible is that money's evil. Money's not evil. The love of money is evil. Solomon came back and said this about wealth. For those of you pursuing wealth as the very first thing in life. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, Whoever loves money will never have enough. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with their income. This is meaningless. You working for that next raise? Why? Trying to get that next big job? Why? How much is enough? When when will it be enough for you? Wisdom. Wisdom is good unless it's the primary drive of your life. I've got a young pastor in Georgia that I mentor who called me recently and we were talking because he feels like he's growing distant from his wife and we started talking through some of his goals for the New Year's and he's not going on dates with his wife and they don't hang out and watch TV anymore and they don't spend a lot of time together. But one of the goals he had kept, his goal this year was to read 50 books this year. I asked him, I said, why would anyone have a goal to read 50 books in a year? You can wait and see the movie and it'll take a lot less time. But his goal is to read 50 books a year. And I said, how are you doing on that goal? He says, great. So what do you do? He's like, every spare moment I'm reading. And I said, is reading more important than your marriage? Because what you're telling me is I'm, I'm meeting this goal, I'm gaining wisdom, but my marriage is crashing. I said, dude, you got, you got to reevaluate a little bit. And career. Some of you are going to take every step you ever desired to take in your career, and you're going to leave your wife and kids with someone else as you go. See, stuff's not bad. But Solomon said empty pursuits as primary. When it's the most important thing in your life, Solomon said you're going to get to the end of your life. Remember, he's writing this book at the end of his life. He said, man, I blew it. That stuff wasn't the most important. So what do we need to do? We need to, number two, we need to reset our lives 
to accomplish God's goals for us that we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You and I have to reset our lives. We've got to stop. We've got to push pause. We've got to have a conversation. We've got to say, okay, if these seven things aren't true of my life, what do we need to do? And where do we find these seven things? Verses 11 through 13. Let's just read over them again because they're an attractive proposition for us. God has made everything beautiful in his time and he set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them might drink, eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift from God. Now as we look through scripture, here's Here's the good and the bad thing about resetting our lives to accomplish God's goal for us. God gives us pretty simple answers. Here's what you need to do with very difficult application to help us get back on track to an enjoyable and satisfying life. Like the answers are easy. Like the steps I'm going to give you are really easy to, to write down and remember. They're really hard to do. And we find these answers best in the New Testament book of Ephesians. And here's why... The advice we get from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians is so cool. Ephesus was a city that ran at an American pace 2,000 years ago. Ephesus was a city in modern-day Turkey. It was a highly educated city. Uh, it was a city filled with retired professionals, usually soldiers that had moved in from Rome. Um, it was a city filled with religious things. It, it was a city filled with high culture. There was a lot to do there. This was a city that ran at a very fast pace. And the Apostle Paul spent three years there planting a church. And then after he left, you know, the people started struggling spiritually, living the life that God wanted them to. So he wrote him a letter and one of his lines of advice in the book of Ephesians to this city that ran at a pace like we run in our American lives was this in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. How do we reset our lives to accomplish God's goals for us? Here's the answer. Be careful. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Verse 16 holds the key there to resetting our lives according to God's goal for us. We have to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, if you have an old King James Version Bible, the, the translation there will say redeeming the time. The word redeem means to buy back. So Paul literally is saying, realize life is so important and that you don't have a time machine and you can't repeat it before you live your life go ahead and live it as if you would buy it back if you could because time is that important when we look at what the apostle paul is saying here's what he's saying you and i have to purposefully prioritize our life with god goals in mind first if we're going to have the hope of ever living the life that god wants us to have you say, well, what are these priorities? If we look at Ecclesiastes 3, 11 through 13, it's real easy to, to see some things that Solomon says our life should be filled with. What are these things we should focus on? Number one, our relationship with God. By the way, if you're not a, if you're not a Christian, th this list will look different for you. But if, if you're a Christian who loves Jesus and wants to be close to God, this is your list of seven. Your first priority is your relationship with God. Second priority, your relationship with your spouse. Remember the things Solomon gave us. Enjoy God and the things he's blessed you with. Be happy in your life. Enjoy your family. So relationship with God, relationship with your spouse. Number three, relationship and responsibilities to your children. If you're a parent, you got to prioritize these three things. Number four, responsibilities at work 
and at home. Solomon talked about going to work. He actually talked about going to work in a job that you liked so you could provide the life that you wanted to have. So nowhere in scripture do we see people say that work should not be a priority. Solomon says work is it's one of your major priorities. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he'll begin to talk to us about kind of zoning in on our relationship with strong friends. And I'll say a life without friends, a life too busy for friends. Man, that's a dangerous life to live. So he'll say you ought to prioritize a relationship with strong friends. Number six, Solomon will talk to us about our health. If you read through the book of Proverbs, all the wisdom that Solomon gives about just being aware of your life and your health. The apostle Paul will later call our bodies our temple that we need to take good care of. And then number seven, your hobbies and your enjoyment. The, th- the things that bring you joy in life. Now, I want you to look at this list of seven with me. And I want you to ask yourself how you're doing in these areas. As a matter of fact, if you would grade yourself, like if you would give yourself a grade, one through ten, one being low, ten being great, how would you say your relationship with God was this week? How would you say your relationship with your spouse was this week? What about your time with kids for those of us who were parents? How about your responsibilities at work and doing a good job in work? How about spending time with friends so that you can build yourself up? How about your health? Did you spend time taking care of your health this week? How about your hobbies or your enjoyment? Do do you have a hobby that you really enjoy? Because believe it or not, this is a list that every other week I have to fill out, I have to grade, and I have to give to a mentor of mine. Jimmy Dodd, who speaks at our church about once a quarter. He's one of the coaches who helps us in ministry. And he said, Christian, if these seven things aren't clicking, you're like you're dead. And these are things now, just so you can know, this is not a sermon, but a way of life. Like I eat breakfast every Wednesday with my son. And a a lot of the things that I'm teaching him, we have started the last month. We end every breakfast the exact same way. We we break out a napkin and I make, I'm on cross so you can't see it. Uh, His list is a little different than ours. Um, He's not married, doesn't have kids, doesn't have a job, doesn't have a whole lot of friends, but he's he's got a list. Uh, I'm just kidding, he has friends. but, he, but he, you know, he's got a list. And at the end of every breakfast, I write, okay, these, these are the seven things he and I have decided are priorities in his life. And every week I make two columns and I say, okay, in this column, I want you in this column to write the way that God wants these priorities to look in your life. In the next column, I want you to write the way they were this week and I want you to rank them. And only by focusing every week on priorities can we hope to accomplish those things. And here's the scary thing. I took this exercise. One of the things that God has done is he's really blessed our, he's blessed our church in, in the world of church planting. So we have a lot of churches that we go help. And in February, I spent time two days with a church staff in Georgia, just leading them through some organizational, personal, professional health type stuff. And I gave them this exercise. I had them list their priorities. And then I had them do what some of our small groups are going to do this week. I had them draw up an ideal week. You ought to write those words down on your, on your notes, ideal week. You say, what's an ideal week? I told them to take their seven priorities and, and to write a week, an ideal week that allowed them to accomplish all those things at a level 10. And I said, what would your week have to look like for you, for you to live life based on your priorities? So they wrote up their ideal week. We all shared it around the table. I said, okay, now... I want you to lay in um, a perfect month. Because some of these things you can't do every week. But in a perfect month, I want you to take 30 days, 31 days. And at the end of 31 days, I want you to create a month where at the end of 31 days, you can say, I did everything that's a priority to me. So they did that. 
This was in February. So after that, we took a lunch break. I came back. I said, okay, I want you now to take your real calendar. It's February, so we'll throw February away. Start with March, and I want you to tell me if it's possible to live your life according to the priorities that you think are important in March. And none of them could do it. They said, no, my March is too busy. So all right, try your April. So they got into April, and they looked at April, and they said, no, my, my, April's, my April's too busy. I said, hey, go to May. None of them could find a month where they could actually live life according to the things that were most important. And here's what I found out through that exercise. When our lives are overwhelmed by activities rather than priorities, the joy and balance of our lives disappear very quickly. And I looked at this staff down in Georgia, great church, great staff. And after looking at four months of trying to live life according to priorities, I told that team what's been spoken into me for several years now by my mentors. I said, either your priorities have to change or your activities do. They said, well, you know, we, you know, our priorities are our priorities. And I said, well, obviously not. Either your priorities change or your activities change. And you got to choose. Are you going to structure your life based on priorities or activities? Man, the last three years, you look at number five, six, and seven on this list. The last three years, I, like I would give myself a zero on five, six, and seven. Like I have friends. I just don't have any time for my friends. And isn't it funny, like when you look back at life, like can you even think of one great memory that doesn't involve a friend or a teammate or a family member? Like do you have any great life moments that you're just in solitude? Like I think back at my life with friends, like man, I just used to love hanging out with my friends. And we'd do some crazy stuff, but because you were with friends, it was fun. I remember the summer after my senior year of high school, we were all sitting in a house somewhere bored out of our minds on a Friday night. And everybody was looking around at each other. We didn't have cell phones back then. I'm like, what are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I grew up in southern Ohio. And someone said, I was watching a special on Niagara Falls. Let's go to Niagara Falls. Just like six of us, 18, 19-year-olds, sitting in a basement. And someone's like, all right, well, how far, how far away is Niagara Falls? So, we, you know, I think we asked an adult because we couldn't Google it at the time. And they're like, it's about six hours away. It was getting close to midnight. We're like... All right, we can do that. So somehow we convinced our parents to let us drive to Niagara Falls. Two kids were in college, the rest of us got out of high school. So we stopped at a gas station, loaded up on Mountain Dew. There was no energy drinks back in the 1900s when I grew up. And man, we were off to Niagara Falls. And like at 6 a.m., we pull into Niagara. You can hear the falls raging. And we drive up to the road and we park. And I remember standing there with a Mountain Dew and a bag of Twizzlers. Like watching Niagara Falls. And after 10 minutes, we were like, y'all ready to go? And we were like, yep. And we got in the car and drove home. We drove 12 hours round trips to look at Niagara Falls for 10 minutes. It was like, and it was epic. It's like one of the greatest memories of my life because I was with my friends. I got to the end of last year and I thought, man, it now takes me 12 days to even schedule a 10 minute meeting with a friend. And I thought, I'm not satisfied with that life. That is not the life God has called me to live. I, I'm going I'm to change that. I looked at my health the last few years. I went to a doctor last year, and he ran my blood test. And he's like, man, you, you got to get healthy. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And he's like, well, I want you to, you know, I want you to meet with a dietitian. I think he was trying to shame me. This little guy looked like Richard Simmons came out. And he's like, hey, I'm going to. I was like, I got it, dude. I'll work out and start eating. Don't speak to me again. Like, it was just like, 
All right, my health is not a priority. I still don't have a hobby. I think my hobbies are just going to have to be watching my kids and their activities because they, they take all my time. But it's like, I looked at my life and this was not my life. And I was not satisfied with my life because this is what I wanted, but this is not what was real. And it's funny how when you get off of a list and you start looking at life, how things come into focus. And I had that happen this week. Thursday morning, I got to hang out with a lady who, who never misses service at our church, but she's never, she's never been here. Her name is Diane Harder. Her son, Reese, leads our middle school ministry. And in 19, 1988, she was diagnosed with multiple, multiple sclerosis. And after beating breast cancer in 2003 and going through the chemotherapy treatment, it, it basically left her homebound where she couldn't leave. But she watches our services every week. And Reese texted me and he said, my mom, I know you're really busy. My mom, uh, my mom would like to meet you and spend some time with you. Um, you know, I, I told her no, but she said I had to ask. And you guys said, of course, I'll, I'd love to. So on Thursday morning, I think they've got a picture. I went over and spent an hour with Diane just, just talking. She just finished a 20-day hospital stay that she doesn't remember because of the lesions on her brain from her disease, because of the infections of the last 12 years, being basically homebound. She's got a pretty uncertain future. And as she talked to me and, and just cried, she just said, I'm, I'm just... I've always known this was serious, but to wake up after 20 days and not remember any of it, I'm scared. And as we just kind of talked, you know what we talked about? We talked about these seven things. We talked about God. We talked about eternity. We laughed about her, her family, her husband, her kids. We talked about her friends that she spends time with now who come over and visit her the things that she does to enjoy life. And I thought, man, isn't it crazy how when you know the future is uncertain, how quickly you can get focused on the things that matter most. And I thought, why does someone have to end up in a hospital bed to live life pursuing the right things? Why can't we decide now to live life pursuing the right things? Over the next month at our church, I'm going to show you how to do that. It's going to take some of you months to arrange your schedules to live life the way that God says to. But here's what I believe. God's routine for our life, it works. It keeps balance. And I believe it brings joy. And I believe that with all my heart. I, you know, I talk often with one of the educators in our church just about the Bible. I love the Bible. Um, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I, I read it a lot. This year, I'll finish reading the Bible for the 15th time, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. I don't say that because I'm, I, I don't keep score, but I keep track. It's just the way my mind works. I say that to say I, kn I, I know what it says. And there are a lot of things in the Bible, even if I didn't believe in the spiritual part of Scripture, there's some advice for life in the Bible that is like so good. If you will just keep it and live your life according to what this book says, I believe it'll change your life for the better and forever. And that's my goal at our church, in our community, for our people that are running like crazy nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My goal is to look at what God has to say about the routine of our life and to try to begin applying those things to our life so that we do not live a life characterized as overwhelmed, 
We do not live a life characterized as having no balance, having no joy, so that we don't live life fighting bees that are really flies and getting to the end of our life and saying, it's kind of silly that I spent so much time wrestling with that. that. That wasn't even really important. Why not do that now instead of when we're on a hospital bed trying to figure out what's left of our life? Let's pray together.